And it is a wisdom psalm since it speaks directly to man and not to God. The divine instruction given in this psalm is on to the prosperity of the wicked. In verses 9 through 22 of Psalm 37, David now gives us the proper perspective we must take as it concerns the wicked and their place in the world. In this passage, we have the reasons why fretting and envy are so foolish and vain for God's people when we look at the wicked. The principal reason we shouldn't waste our energy fretting over the prosperity of the wicked is because, as David tells us, as he teaches us here in this part of the psalm, the wicked are on their way out. In verses 9 and 22, this entire passage is bookended, we could say, with this motif. The evildoers, the cursed, shall be cut off. Shall be cut off. In verse 9, it begins, For the evildoers shall be cut off. And then, in verse 22, For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. So those are the bookends of this pericope. Now, between these bookends, David gives us the reasons why the wicked will, in fact, be cut off. He hammers these reasons out. In verses 12 and 13... The scheming wicked is the object of the Lord's derision because their ruin is definite. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. The Lord laughs. This is a laughing, this is a laughing of deriding, of mocking. It's the kind of it's the kind of laughing that we saw the Spirit inspiring Elijah with the prophets of Baal. If you remember that in 1 Kings chapter 18 where Elijah on Mount Carmel, they're having the divine showdown, if you will, between the Lord God of Israel and the false God, Baal. And, and when Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to, uh, to get Baal to basically do this supernatural thing, if you remember, the prophets of Baal are doing all kinds of just of insane things to their body and 
wailing and all of this mess and Elijah during the whole time is mocking them deriding them maybe you need to call louder I don't think Bell can hear you things like that well when the Lord looks at the wicked he laughs at them he laughs at their plans their schemes what they're after what they try to do and notice who their target is. It's their plots against the righteous, against the people of God. But the Lord laughs in derision at the wicked because he sees that their day is indeed coming. In verses 14 and 15, the ruin of the wicked is ironically just. In fact, it will be self-inflicted. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Again, their target are the people of God. But then verse 15, their, their sword, that is the sword of the wicked, their sword shall enter their own heart and their bow shall be broken. This sounds a great deal like the language communicated in the book of Proverbs. And there in the first nine chapters of Proverbs where we see Solomon talking about the wicked falling in the very pit that they dug for the righteous. And this is what David is communicating here as well. And thus their ruin is rather ironic because it's self-inflicted. The very, the very sword that their drawing against the righteous is going to be the very thing entering their own heart. They're going to destroy themselves in the end. In verses 16 and 17, we are assured that the power of the wicked will be shattered. Better is the little, David tells us, that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked, and that's a metaphor for their, for their power, the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord upholds the righteous. And then in verse 20, whatever dominance the wicked enjoy, it is only going to be transitory transitory but the wicked will perish the enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures they vanish like smoke they vanish away you know I do find it interesting that in this particular text of the psalm David describes by analogy that the wicked are like the glory of the pastors. So, so there is a certain glory that the wicked are admired for. The unbelievers of this world. You know, you especially, especially see this if you read military history, you really see it there, where these, you know, these 
these military heroines, you know, the, these men that, that did and performed great feats in military history, and yet their lives were a train wreck. They were lost. They were undone. They were, they were wicked by nature, unbelievers. But there was a glory about them in their feats, in the things they did, in the things they accomplished. There was a glory about Napoleon, okay? You know, there was a glory to these men, but the scripture tells us here in Psalm 37 that glory was as temporal as the glory of the pastures of the field. Just here today, gone tomorrow. Vanishing away. Vanishing away. Very transitory. Very, very transitory. Well, what is the point of this divine revelation that we're given here as to the end of the wicked? The point of Psalm 37 in this portion of the psalm is to encourage us and strengthen us to let the demise of the wicked determine how we live in response to them in the present. One writer put it this way. He said, let what you know about the future destiny of the wicked control your disposition toward the difficulties pressures and conflicts of the present. So how often do you think Christians need to read Psalm 37? I think very often we need to meditate on this psalm and let what it is reminding us, let what it is telling us of what the end of the wicked will be, let that be what controls how we respond to them. They may be having their day today. They may be basking in whatever glory it is that they have. But Psalm 37 says to us as God's people, their end is coming. Their ruin is on its way. It is on its way. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 12 actually echoes the same encouragement to us as God's people as Psalm 37, 9 through 22 does. But, listen, but with the greater revelation, with the greater revelation of the return of Jesus Christ. Beginning at verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul writes, and who is he writing to? By the way, he's, 
He's writing to the church, the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important. He's writing to a local church. Okay? So, he says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also are suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when, so okay, so here's, here's when the relief is coming, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, why do we look forward to the coming of Christ? Why do we look forward to his second coming, to his return? Well, there are many reasons we look forward to it, biblically speaking, but here's one of them. Because Jesus is going to take vengeance out on his enemies who are our enemies who have afflicted us in this world. There's a payday coming. A payday is coming. And it will it will. Be there, get this, for all of us to see. When Jesus returns with his mighty angels in flaming fire, and what a sight that's going to be, we, his saints, are going to witness the war, according to Revelation 19, that he's going to bring upon the wicked. The wicked who hate us, who malign us, who have afflicted us, who have plotted evil against us because we are the church of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus returns, the scripture says, be comforted, be encouraged, Christian. The payday is here. So whatever glory, whatever prosperity the wicked have today, it's only for today. It's only for today. Because one day, it's all going to be gone. It's going to just vanish away. And Revelation chapter 6 tells us that on that day when Christ returns, when the wrath of the Lamb is revealed, the wicked are going to be crying out for the rocks to fall upon them and destroy them. Because that is the fear that the return of Jesus Christ is going to put in their hearts. It's not this, it's not this weak, 
this weak Jesus. No, it's the warrior. The warrior with the sword proceeding from his mouth, which is his word, is going to have its day in slaying them all in one fell swoop. Effortlessly. Effortlessly. And what are we going to do as people of God? We're going to rejoice. We're not going to shed one tear over what's coming to the wicked. Yep, you're getting what you deserve. And granted, there but for the grace of God go we because we could be right there with them in their camp. And we'd be getting our just desserts. But by God's grace, we're not because he has saved us. He has rescued us out of that. And so when Christ returns, we will rejoice at the eternal ruin and destruction of the wicked. For some reason, there seems to be many Christians that don't think like this, (laughs) but they're not reading all the Bible, and they're not considering everything it is teaching us and revealing to us of what we do have to look forward to when Jesus comes and splits the eastern sky and What a day that's going to be. Aren't you glad, Christian, that all of this right now is just temporary? Mm. New heavens and the new earth. A day that we can't even imagine. The glory of it. Let's pray. Our holy, righteous Father, thank you for the comfort and the encouragement of your word and how that comfort and encouragement visits us in so many different ways. And this morning, as it has come to us, Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that you've given us and all the reasons therewith of why we should not fret and why we should not be angry and why we should not be envious of the prosperity and the vanishing glory of the wicked. Lord, thank you for reminding us as to what their end will be, for sobering us to realize that whatever prosperity they have today, it's only for today. Their glory, whatever that is, is vanishing and doing so quickly. Because, Lord, you have promised and you have given absolute assurance to us as your people that the ruin of this unbelieving world and all of its hostility and hatred toward you and your people that that day is coming very quickly, indeed at the return of Christ Jesus our Lord. And we therefore pray, Father, that as we think about, as we ponder 
and we should often. The return of our Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we will think of his return. In the words, the divine words of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, that Jesus, our Lord, is returning with vengeance, that he will meet out against all those who do not know God and who have denied the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and who, because of their evil hearts, have inflicted your people, Father. We thank you that Jesus is coming to pay them back and pay them back in full and pay them for all eternity. And we pray that even today, our hearts, by your grace, will look forward to that. Because we know that when that day does arrive, we will be praising our great Savior and Lord and King for what we will witness him doing by the war that he will bring upon his enemies that will not last long at all. And it will be complete and it will be permanent. And so, Father, we pray that in the light of this, in the light of this long view of the future destiny of the wicked, may we today take heart as your people that with however we may suffer at their hands, yet in the suffering we can rejoice. Rejoice because of your comfort, your encouragement, and your promise to us that they will be cut off forever. And so, Lord, we trust in you even now for the grace we need for that purpose and we thank you for the sanctification it increases even in our very hearts making us more like Jesus our Lord to this end we petition you giving you great thanks for the sake of Christ in his name we pray Amen